Hey, welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Ma, and today we have Dan Habercast on the show. Um, he manages to build an impressive real estate business portfolio that allows him to create financial freedom to live and work where he wants to. At the age of 25, Dan has done over 85 plus units already, and you know, just to start. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Number one for having me. Uh, yeah, but yeah, if you include the the land business, I'm up up around that mark. Nice. You know, I was just talking to you at first too. Mm-hmm. You now we're talking about in 2022. You're at the age of 25, which is mm-hmm. really really young. And you know, you mentioned you got started in real estate when you're 16. Yeah. I think for the most part, many people don't get started when they're 16 and jump into real estate. And even for yourself you know, really building your portfolio and growing your own at 21 to 25 and getting, that's pretty impressive. So just to start off, how did you even get into real estate and like, why? Sure. Yeah. That's a great question. So it goes back to growing up. I'm from Ohio and nice. Which very, part? Uh, near Cleveland, a little okay. South of Cleveland. Yep. Okay. Nice. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. So you know where Medina is. I was in Medina, Ohio, Valley city, that area. Yep. Nice. So Grew up in a very stereotypical sort of conservative lower middle class family where money was a constant source of fear, tension, conflict, anxiety. Uh, And so I had to start working really young. In middle school, I was selling stuff on eBay to make money, actually. Uh, So anyways, my first job was at a a, a tree farm. And by the time I was 16, the owner had given me the farm to manage along with his portfolio of rental properties because he'd go and travel for a good portion of the year. So I was left alone to handle both the farm and the rental properties when I was barely old enough to drive. And uh, so it wasn't my own investing, but that experience certainly taught me about the type of real estate I didn't want to own because he had lower end properties. He had a very confrontational dynamic with his tenants. I don't know that his screening was the best. Uh, And so I just remember at that age, ripping up just a nasty carpet covered in some sort of animal feces on a hot, humid Ohio day, which I'm sure you know all about. And so that was when I was 16. A year later, I'm 17. I'm back in that same house dealing with the same thing after another tenant had trashed the house. And so, again, this wasn't my real estate, but that scared me away from the business actually at that age. But uh, in hindsight, what it really taught me is I don't want to own, you know, D plus C minus properties and uh, screen your tenants. So that was my very first experience with real estate. That's pretty amazing how like, you know, a owner would give a 16 year old to manage being so young, like, here you go, just you deal with it, manage all my, my properties and figure it out while while I travel, right? Yeah, I was a little bit precocious and I've been working him for working for him for a few years. So he trusted me at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was quite a bit to handle between that and the farm, because then for the farm, I had to manage people much older than myself and, you know, make sure everything got done. So, yeah, as much as I didn't necessarily enjoy it at the time, that was definitely a good experience at a young age that in hindsight was beneficial. Nice. And then when you started managing these properties, like what did you learn from me? You talked about how like you don't you don't want to manage C and D properties. What mm-hmm. did you learn from that experience in the screening process? Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing is he was a bit of a slumlord in hindsight and the properties weren't maintained. He didn't he could kind of just be a jerk. I, I saw that a number of times and so his tenants didn't like him. And so for the smaller landlord, especially, you know, if you have hundreds or thousands of units, this isn't applicable. And I'm sure some of your listeners have smaller portfolios. If you're self-managing, you know, taking care of your tenants, making sure that any sort of issues are addressed immediately, the houses are kept fixed and up to date, there is a bit of reciprocity, uh, assuming you've screened them properly, uh, that kind of plays out where they want to reciprocate that and, and pay on time and treat the property well, which is the opposite of what he did. So that's probably one of the biggest lessons is you know, in general, we talk so much about getting good deals, which of course is very important. But if you get a great deal and it isn't managed properly, it's not going to be a great deal for long. Whereas if you get an okay deal and have a great manager for several decades, well, you could have low turnover, you know, low uh, expenses. It, it really, really matters how you manage the property. And I think that's underappreciated sometimes because it's a little bit boring to talk about. So let's talk about that too. You know, when you're finding good deals um, and getting these deals, normally you see like, you know, small mom and pop shops, uh, sometimes their properties are mismanaged. And then you see that as an opportunity now to fix it. But like, Mm -hmm. why is it that, you know, when you take a building over, why is it the management part of it so important? And how does managing it better 
add value to the property? You talked about a couple of things, but let's elaborate on that. Yeah, no, that's that's a, a great question and, and, and point to talk about. You know, so many people, I think they just get bored of their properties and they let it go over time. You know, I just bought a rental, actually got it seller financed where this guy, again, a bit of a slumlord, but that provided opportunity. His rents were low, but at the same time, the whole building had just been or just a house, but the whole house had been allowed to just slowly fall apart over the years. So why would the tenants treat it well? Right. And, and that's contrary to the experience I've had with my rentals, made sure that they're kept very nice, up to date. If there are repairs, it's handled immediately. Uh, and it just again, the reciprocity is important there. And screening the tenants, I, I don't know what the mom and pops, if it's often just that they inherited something or they just become lazy over time so they don't know what they're doing or what it is. But I mean, that's everything. I just did a talk on this at my real estate group here in town. That is so, so, so important, especially in areas like California or here in Colorado, where the tenants definitely have the upper hand as far as as, as the law. Uh, screening your tenants properly is essential. So on, on my end, you know, background check, credit check call their their last two landlords, call their boss. And even the little things, you know, do they they show up to the uh, appointment on time? Do they have the application back when they say they will? All these things matter a lot. Uh, and being, I'd much rather have an extra month of vacancy and wait for an excellent tenant than to get a shaky tenant and have one less month of vacancy to kind of illustrate the point. Yeah, that's the main point too. Like, yeah, when you look at their um, backgrounds and history, um, you know, what they're doing, their financials, making sure everything's on time. So like mm -hmm. one is you're looking for on time, being, you know, being respectful, being on time, um, asking, you know, having everything they need for you, doing the application mm -hmm. forms. You could see, and then especially when the follow-up, calling their previous uh, landlords, asking questions, you can hear in their voice. Yeah, they're a great tenant. You can say, they'll start saying so many great mm -hmm. things about them or no, they're bad or they're okay. They're mm -hmm. okay. But you know, really I want them out of my house, go to your house. I don't need yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, that's a great point. I want to hit on that. Be careful. Mm -hmm. If you only talk to their current or, or, or landlord, they might just want to buy their house. So uh, I try and talk to previous landlords and their boss too. If their boss says, oh, he's on time, great employee, you know, so on and so forth. And the credit score too, you know, if they have a high credit score, that's hard to fake. Uh, and that's a very strong indicator, especially if that's coupled with, you know, references, good references. Yeah, I think it really is important to look at all credit pages, not just the first page with a number, because inside the credit report, sometimes I've even seen one before too, like a surgeon. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, wow, you're a surgeon. Great. You help yeah. a lot of people. But Honestly, he probably was so busy with everything. His credits mm. was, everything was so bad. I'm like, what happened there? You know, and like, mm. what do you do? Right. You're mm. kind of stuck because you could put your client in, at risk by renting it out. Yeah. Based on bad credits, you know? Yeah. That's a great point too. What's another thing too, when you're, um, you know, when you're looking at this too, how do you find the difference between good tenants and bad tenants in terms of like, you know, the application process, what do you screen? And then um, how are you helping to make the place better? Yeah, so I'm I'm not doing the screening myself anymore. Uh, nice. But what do you use? I actually, so my acquisitions manager and my active business, she just wants to learn all she can. So what? I've been having her fill the vacancies for me uh, nice. and just kind of teaching her. Uh, but it, it's been great. It's it's fun to teach good people. At least I really enjoy that or mentor good people. Uh, so I've been doing that with her in pretty much all aspects of the business. But uh, anyways, um, other than gosh, okay, so the the background credit check last two landlords, current employer. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I mean, just that, are they punctual? Do they fill out the application on time? And, and do they have a strong credit score? That's really the, the screening process. Uh, it's about nice. the extent of it. Nice. And then when these tenants are in place, or even when you buy a building mm -hmm. um, and you have current tenants, how do mm -hmm. you improve the relationship with them? How do you create that benefit, mutual benefit to you know add value to the property? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, if I could show you actually uh, later tonight, I'm going to mm -hmm. look at the the rehab. I, I, I wish I had pictures or a walkthrough video you for you. Can but uh, screen on your website if you like. Oh, I, I don't have it. I'm going to go take a final video tonight. Okay. My point is, we make the house is very nice, and then at the same time, as soon if they have a problem, I make sure one of my contractors is out there to handle it that day. Especially if it's you know anything major and you know dealing with the utilities or anything like that i mean even you know a couple of weeks ago i had a mailbox broken i got my contractor out there that day to handle it so just treating them well and 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 handling issues immediately uh seems to have had a positive effect as far as reciprocity uh with yeah. all my rentals 
So why is it why is it important to do it right away? What happens oh, if you delay? Yeah, well, you know, think about it. If you're living in someone else's house and you're renting it from them and paying for it, and something goes wrong and they're not willing to, or they put it on the back burner and they're slow about fixing it. Well, maybe I'll be slow about paying rent. That's kind of, I think, the the mindset that develops. And, and really, I've said it several times, reciprocity is a big thing, and at least in all our, our culture. It's pretty normal, I, I find, across the board, where if someone does something for you, it takes care of you, it's really natural to want to reciprocate that. So if your landlord handles all your problems immediately, responds, so on and so forth, uh, you're going to be more inclined to pay rent uh, most of the time. Nice. And then, you know, when you're 16, you're learning all these things. When did you start buying your first uh, rental property, your first investment property? Yeah. So uh, to fast forward quickly, about a 60 second synopsis. So I did that job throughout high school. And then in college, I was working full time, going to school full time. I was actually running a landscaping company for the last couple of years of college. And so I'm working almost 50 hours a week. I had 16 credit hours and <clears throat> I got pretty frustrated because that definitely wasn't the case for most of my friends, right? You know, they're mm -hmm. out having fun, enjoying college, same deal in high school. And I saw myself going down that same path that my older siblings, parents, uncles, cousins, I had a lot of older cousins. I was the young one. They all did the same thing. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. If I can manage full-time school and full-time work, I'm positive that I can go build some sort of business to, to create some sort of freedom. So I started reading about investing, you know, equities, read about different businesses I could start. And then like so many others, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it was like, yep, real estate, real estate it is. So that was when I was finishing up college, <clears throat> bought a duplex two months later when I was 21. Nice. Uh, and that was kind of the start to my own personal uh, real estate investing. So Nice. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Even at, you know, you're going to college, you're working full time, you, you, you're making money because you have your own landscaping company. And you can tell from, for example, from, from you, from your friends, you were an entrepreneur, you're working hard. You probably have some other friends who are entrepreneurs. You, you chose to read and execute and learn. You read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And you started saying, hey, this is the right path for me to build my, my future. And you wanted financial freedom. Mm -hmm. Going to that, and then how do you figure out, like, even at your age, you know, even your parents might look at how did how did you figure out how to buy your first house at twenty one, your first duplex house? Yeah, why, so, and why? Because you're twenty one, yeah. you want to go party and have fun, right? Like, why do this? Uh well, I've always, for whatever reason, I've always been good at looking at what everyone else is doing and being mindful of not making the same mistakes as everyone around me. Um, not sure why, but it was very clear to me I did not want to do what my parents and siblings and cousins, et cetera, were doing. Um, so that was probably the big motivator. And just the uh, kind of as a corollary to that, the realization that, hey, I'm going to be broke and working a crappy job for the rest of my life, just like everyone else I know, unless I do something about this. So that was the motivator for me to go do that. I just did not want to, to repeat what everyone else in my family had done. And then at the same time, you know, having uh, uh, access to podcasts and that sort of thing, although there was nobody in my immediate circle that represented what I wanted to be, that's kind of the beauty of the technology and the internet. And I'm able to go listen to bigger pockets and different podcasts and hear, oh, well, there are other ways to go about this. So that really was helpful. I mean, I, I, I just covered bigger pockets around that same time. I probably listened nice. to hundred episodes in a, a couple of weeks. It was just nonstop. Um, and as far as how did I do it? Well, I did it wrong. I did everything wrong. <laughs> I uh, on that duplex, thankfully it was in Ohio. So I think I bought it for 134.5. Uh, but yeah, in hindsight, my realtor definitely didn't have my best interest in mind. Uh, the one of the units was occupied by a tenant and he kind of screwed me over. I made the classic mistake of taking secure deposit of last month's rent. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, I didn't have, I did that re, uh, rehab myself, so I didn't have to deal with contractors, but uh, then the property manager I hired once I left it didn't go so well, had to fire them and get a new one. So, yeah, I, I did just about everything wrong. But doing everything more wrong on a $134,000 duplex is a great way to learn uh, as opposed to the more expensive properties. Right. You know, I did a 3.5 percent down FHA loan, so I didn't have a ton of cash in it. And fast forward to today and it cash flows and it's stable and I don't really touch it. So, um yeah, I, I just went out and did it. Uh, yeah, that was really it. With little more than uh, what I knew from the podcasts and books I'd read. 
And I think that's a great way to like, even when you first start, as long as you're not like, you know, going bankrupt doing it, you're paying mm-hmm. in, you're learning. If you yeah. have a mentor that might guide you through the process, that mm-hmm. sometimes helps, but there's a cost yes. associated to that. But when you're doing yeah. your first property, you really learn a lot about mm-hmm. doing it because you're you're actively doing it and managing your own property. You're figuring out all the little intricacies no one tells you. You don't read it online. You have to keep searching for all these different things that you learn over time. But that value mm-hmm. alone helps you propel to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, because mm-hmm. you now understand the financial models the risks the um, tendencies the issues that come up and how to manage mm-hmm. self-manage that and then even property managers how they help you and how they screw you if they don't mm-hmm. do it right and how at a certain price point and a certain cost and time how much do they really do right yeah yeah so yeah absolutely and i, I do want to hit on one point you just made if you're able to find a mentor absolutely that's a great way to go and of course you can pay for one or you can do what I did as far as my active business. So fast forward a couple of years or actually no, a couple months, I moved to Colorado late 2018 and I bought that property beginning of 2018 and I bought another house hack out here. And it was around that point. I had two properties and was still working a W2 job at that point. And I realized I need to figure out how to scale my income if I want to scale my rental portfolio. Uh, and I actually met a guy who's a close friend now at the real estate group here in town that I now host and learn from him about land and development because he'd done it for the last 40 years all over the west side of the country. Uh, And I did that just by helping him in his business, kind of almost an apprenticeship, you could call it. You know, so many people are hesitant to do that because they want to get paid. But, you know, I think back, I spent, what, 45 or 50 grand on college. And that's been mostly useless in hindsight. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd bought a couple more properties. Uh, I do genuinely regret going to college. and I was willing to do that. And that's a social norm. But to go work for somebody for free for a little bit to learn how to make millions of dollars is for some reason not acceptable. And that's just ridiculous. So that's what I did. And that's largely why I, I have a very successful land and development business in a short time at a young age, because I, I did go and find a mentor and shorten that learning curve dramatically. Why is that? Like, you know, even looking back now, like, why is it that most of us out there don't want to follow that kind of non-social norm of, okay, I'm going to get a mentor. I'm going to learn for free. I'm going to do work for them. I want instant gratification. I want my own money. I want hundred percent of everything. hundred percent of yeah. nothing. Why yeah. do I want hundred percent of nothing? You know, is that ego driven? Is it just because yes. Yep. It's an ego thing because in our, the norms in our culture would say going to college is a positive thing for your ego, right? Higher education, how prissy is that? My goodness. Uh, but at the idea of an apprenticeship, that word is associated with probably, quote unquote, lower class jobs and, and lower income. But in reality, if you're learning how to build houses or buy and sell land or do anything in real estate, uh, that is not the case. So yeah, I think it really comes down to just the ego because of our, our cultural norms and kind of connotations of different words. Yeah. And I completely agree with you too. And like, even when I first started, I was in tech world. I started tech when I was 18 years old. So I was lucky to get in tech, high tech and make good money on it. But to do that and learn from the mentorship in the tech world first, and then transfer over to the real estate side, buy my first property at 24 in San Francisco, the mentorship really kicks in and really works mm-hmm. because it's helping you accelerate that business, finding yes. the opportunity and executing on it with less risk. So even if you're paying 50% as an agent or doing a split with a person buying the mm-hmm. deal, they're showing you things you don't know just because you think you know it. You haven't seen what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. That yes. matters a lot, you know? Yes, that's so true. And and it just dramatically shortens and reduces the amount of mistakes you have to make uh, going forward. And and so looking at the first rental I bought, I didn't have a mentor. I did that on my own, made a lot of mistakes. Well, land and, and, and the building on that land has accelerated much quicker because I did go find mentors and learn from them. And so it's been scalable very quickly. So, yeah, that just kind of illustrates the point. So yeah, like whether you're doing single family homes, fix and flips, Airbnbs or land development, you really got to, you know, have that mindset in mind to like even start for free and get a mentor to help you. And like if you can work for someone for free and just like that free is not free, that free is actually a cost associated to it because they're teaching you years of experience, years of things they saw that you haven't seen, you don't even know about, and they're guiding you through that process and you're creating that loyalty and trust. And they want to help you succeed too, because they might see something in you to say, yeah, I'm happy to mentor you because I see something in you that you can do this. So that matters, you know? And yeah, you see when you first started doing your first land development deals, what happened there? Yeah. So that, let's see. So we're talking, yeah, there's late 2018. 
mm-hmm. that I met him uh, end of 2018. Again, still had a normal job. And it took me a little bit of time to really, because doing the job, I had a couple of rentals and plus just, you know, trying to enjoy life as well. I have hobbies. Uh, it took me a while, but by the end of 2019, we were doing some new builds together. Uh, and then, of course, what happened early 2020, the pandemic hit. Now, that didn't affect um, demand for housing in a negative way for more than a few weeks, but it did affect pricing, which brought or pricing of commodities, especially, mm-hmm. especially lumber. Now, that created some challenges, uh, but it was really mid 2020 when I decided that I needed to because building houses leads to large chunks of money after six, seven, eight months, depending on how the build goes and so on and so forth. But I wanted more consistency. So at this point, what I've built is just like a wholesaler builds a marketing system to buy and sell houses cheaply. I build a marketing system for land to buy it very cheaply. And what I do is there's one of three exits. Number one, I build a house on it. Number two, I flip it for cash. Or number three, I flip it on a note. And that's become my active business. And it's been just an excellent business model because little bit of cash flow from the notes don't do a whole lot of those but a few then the flipping of the land creates decent amounts of cash flow and then the house is closing every few months creates large chunks and then that's very synergistic with the uh passive investing of buying rentals because the rentals bring down the the uh tax i have to pay on the active income and then the active income creates a lot of liquidity to go buy more rentals and also you know when things go wrong if i need a new roof or a sewer burst i have plenty of cash for that so very much synergistic. And then, of course, you meet a lot of the same contact, contacts that transfer over between the two businesses. Let's talk about that, actually, because you actually made three different interesting points that really need to bring it up and like go through each of one each one of these because it really matters. And one thing, you the key word behind that, too, is like the marketing, too, because you really are like a marketing company. The way I think about real estate nowadays is that yes. we're a marketing company first. Mm-hmm. And really, the product we're selling is real estate in any yes. form or fashion. And if you don't understand your marketing company first, you're mm-hmm. really not succeeding at a high level. And you talked yes. about marketing and scaling that business and turning it into like a system. So let's talk yes. about the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's go high level first mm-hmm. as far okay. as identifying where you want to go. So mm-hmm. You got to pick the right market at that's at the right stage in the cycle for land specifically. We're talking land because, you know, if you try and go build in Boston or, you know, Cleveland, it's a very different game. There's far less land. It's super dense, incredibly high uh, uh, soft costs and time to get a permit. Whereas where I'm doing it very cheap on the front end, getting the permit uh, very quick. And so I prefer to to find a market where that's viable. So. Here in Colorado, the path of progress has been going straight down the front range, right? The Rocky Mountains. There's one main highway along uh, the Rockies, Denver blew up, then it was Colorado Springs where I live, and then it's kept going down the front range. Now, when I moved here in 2018, 2019, the next city past Colorado Springs is Pueblo. And this city has been just completely ignored. But I went down there and out west in the middle of the desert, there's Pueblo West. And here were 20,000 infill lots utilities already brought to every property. I mean, they're shovel ready to be built on, uh, ready to go. And you can still buy them for five to $10,000. Look at, look at, look at the big picture right North of that. You have Colorado Springs where infill lot is a hundred plus people are flocking here like crazy. Fort Carson, which is a huge employer. And a lot of the other big employers for the area is on the South end of the Springs. So very commutable in Pueblo. And it's just ignored. All these lots are sitting there. And what do you know? All these mom and pop builders are starting to build. So that market was a huge opportunity. And that's the starting point in my mind. I see real estate as a, a or what's you have a whole list of moves as far as strategies and, and exit strategies and, and assets. What works for the given market? Well, huge Lack of housing across the country. It's exacerbated in Colorado because people are moving here as they are at all the sun sunbelt states. So building and, of course, then land are really, really in demand. And there's a lot of opportunity there. And at the same time, I can buy these lots, or I could, not anymore, at that crazy cheap price. So that's kind of the starting point to identifying the opportunity. It made a lot of sense in that market. Actually, the same guy who did like Havasu in Arizona, you might be familiar with that being out in California. He's the guy who did Pueblo West uh, 20 years later. So Havasu is kind of a a model for what it's going to look like further down the road. So anyways, picked the market, ton of opportunity. My land costs almost nothing. And from there, it's a matter of setting up the marketing correctly. So I started with mailers 
And I send mailers that have an offer price right on them. I want to reduce the, the amount of time and overhead and just pain in the butt involved in the business. So I don't send, hey, Matthew, I see you on such and such. I want to buy it. It says right on there what I'm willing to pay you. So you're only going to call me if that number or something close to it is interesting. And again, it's not me handling any of this at this point, but my acquisitions managers do. But anyways, that's beside the point. So it's a land offer letter or just a postcard. I kind of alternate between the two uh, with an offer price right on it and started with the lowest hanging fruit. So out of state owners, 10 plus year owned, uh, not on the MLS, really, really simple. Um, but from there, you do have to get more creative. So then there's the tax lien list. And after I'd scrubbed through those and all pretty much every owner in the market, <clears throat> well, then I had to get a little bit more creative. So I had my acquisitions managers start doing cold calling. Uh, and we started again, low hanging fruit, went after the tax lien list, went after the out of state owners who'd owed 10 plus years. But then again, you never know what's going on in someone's situation. Someone who bought lots a year ago who lives in town and knows exactly what they're worth might be willing to sell uh, at a discount you never really know. So everyone's worth marketing to if your market is working and there's profit to be made there. So that was kind of the progression of the marketing. It started with land, is, or excuse me, mailers and the low hanging fruit. And now cold calling is a big deal, a big part of my business now. So those are my two marketing strategies, but actually really exciting. Uh, I have a friend from the real estate group I was, I was telling you about who is an engineer, a software engineer. And he built me a program, I guess is the word I'm looking for, that scrubs the public data and is aggregating lists for me of nice. parcels with uh, back taxes that are not on the public list. So I have my own list now that nobody else has. So going after those. So yeah, there's been kind of a, a progression as it gets harder and harder and there's less low hanging fruit, but at the same time, the market is still really hot and it's still producing. How do I keep getting more out of the market? And it's just by being diligent with the, with the marketing. And one more point on that, you know, I've been ranting a yes, little bit here. Good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So consistency with your marketing is so important. I can't overstate it. So for example, everything regresses in the mean in the long run, but you're going to have months that are rough where maybe two months you don't get much, but then it evens out over time. So November, I think we only got one lot under contract. And then first week of December, I think we got eight contracts. I mean, it's, it's so we didn't stop the marketing, continued the mailers, continued the cold calling, continued the follow-up and that, pays off in the long run. So for those of you that are new or you, you don't have your numbers yet, I know how many calls we have to make to get a deal. I know how many mailers to send. If you're not there and you're feeling discouraged, keep consistent with your marketing and it will regress to the mean in the long run. So focus on the lead measures as opposed to the lag measures. So don't worry about the signed contract. Think about, well, how many mailers did I send? How many calls did we make? Like the lead measures are everything. Uh, and over time, you'll be able to quantify how many lead measures get you the outcome of the lag measure. So, uh, yeah, marketing is everything in our business. I think people need to replay that part of it. The whole thing you just said is perfect. I, I love it because I Thank you. really want to dive into that. And yeah. even just as an example, what number do you see is, in terms of mailers? How many mailers do you need to send out to get your first lead, first call, first person in contract? For land, we're somewhere between 150 and 200 mailers. It's not bad at all. And then no. how about the next part, the cold calling? I don't have this as fine-tuned, but it looks mm -hmm. to be right around 100, 100 calls. Granted, we mm -hmm. focused on the more motivated lists, so mm -hmm. it's probably a little bit higher uh, mm -hmm. if I'm doing some of the less low-hanging fruit lists because that's secondary to mail. But, yeah, it's been it's been really good. It's been really, really good. That is a good number. Usually between 100 and 110 is on average for mm -hmm. producers, you know? So yeah. looking, at, looking at it too, like when you think about like, for example, even going back like real estate sales agents and then just, you know, wholesalers, land buyers, investors, mm -hmm. I see a lot of land investors, they're really diving in deep. They're really looking mm -hmm. at the numbers, looking at the systems, looking at the opportunity, looking at how to um, scale the business and focus on the marketing aspect, landing mm -hmm. pages, mailers, cold calling uh, scripts. Mm -hmm having um, lists to call and aggregating mm -hmm. all the data. But in, inside real estate sales, I don't see so much of that for a lot of producers out there. Like mm -hmm. it's not kind of like, you know, what happened there? Like, where is that system, right? Who's showing you, who's teaching you? How do you mm -hmm. do it? I find that like, you know, like you guys, for example, actively like, hey, I'm going to build an investment company. I'm going to start doing land development, flipping, mm -hmm. um, you know, buying property. I'm going to figure out this marketing system and actually mm -hmm. utilize the marketing system and not just focus on the sales side of, okay, I'm just going to go, you know, prospect and figure out how to do it. But you're actually mm -hmm. utilizing systems to make it scalable. 
Yeah, yeah, that's been something that landscaping company I was telling you about in college. And one one correction, it was I was running someone else's the residential side of someone else's landscaping company. That wasn't my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but SOPs were so big in that company, and just in the you know two years I was there, it really helped to make the business more efficient. So I carried that. And I remembered that as as I went into my own business, and plus, just everyone I know who's ahead of me, they have their numbers down. They know how much they need to spend to get a deal, whether they're wholesaling houses or doing land or apartments, right? That's so clear to me that everyone who's where I want to be has systems, has processes and knows their numbers, knows their numbers. And so I'm working on being the same in my business. Nice. That's really good. Because once you know your numbers, you know exactly how far you are away from your next deal and you understand the opportunity and then your costs associated and your time associated to it. So mm-hmm. you know which one to pour gas on, right? To build the fire. Yes. bigger. But yes. if you don't know, then you're just kind of running blindly, trying to figure it out and trying to get the next deal, right? And try to mm-hmm. help someone. So that's yep. good that you know the numbers. And then, you know, like, how did you learn how to figure out like, Hey, I need to do mailers and, you know, just get that system set up and then start cold calling. And then who's doing all the work because you know, a lot of people when they're busy trying to get the deal done, they don't have mm-hmm. time to do all these on top of that deal. And you, you know, doing college, doing after college and like running the businesses mm-hmm. is a lot of work. Yeah. So I left my uh, W2 job in 2019 because I started by buying rentals. That was my first step into real estate. Active business came kind of, as I said, when I realized, well, hey, this is a cash intensive venture. Um, So by the time I was working on really scaling the land and development business, I had left in traditional employment and I did everything myself to to learn it all. I, I do think if you're brand new, it's important to at least have an understanding of every part of the process. So I was doing this stuff myself and the marketing at first was just mailers. And sometimes I'd use realtors to sell. So of course there's some offloading there, but yeah, it was all me initially. Today I have a primary acquisitions manager here in Colorado Springs. I have a secondary one in Texas. I have a a set uh, group of realtors that I kind of shared, alternate between giving listings to. Uh, And then having solid title agents is really important too, because they already know Hey, put a hold open policy on this. Hey, we're going to need to set it. It just makes it easier because they know everything as far as our system. Uh, So that's an important part of the business, too. But my acquisitions manager has actually taken over a good the one here, uh, a good portion of the business because it is simple. Once you know your market and know your numbers and know, I mean, due diligence on a parcel is literally a couple minutes because, Mm -hmm. again, these are infill lots. They're very simple. Uh, So she's handling dispositions as well. And then some, a lot of that, again, is just giving it to a certain realtor to list. So the only major thing that I'm handling at this point is the planning uh, as far as marketing. Where mm-hmm. are we going to market to? You know, how many? And so I have a mail house and I send them the list. I send them the letter. And well, actually, I don't even send them a letter anymore. I just pick from the list they already have of letters and they mm-hmm. send it out. So really, really easy. Now, on the home building side, I just have the GC that runs with pretty much everything once the land's purchased. So the land business buys the lot and then give it to my GC. Now there's some things the owner has to do. I have to go pay the tap fee and sign on a couple of things, right? Cause I do own the parcel, but yeah, he, he mostly runs with it. And then I have my realtor, which already has pictures and 3d walkthroughs of the finished product. She gets it listed. She sells it. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple at this point uh, because I've been doing it for a few years. And that's one of the biggest things I, I'd say too, to anyone getting started, whatever business you're in, getting started is rough. It takes time. You just you feel like you're working for zero dollars an hour sometime. And I, I like to joke that starting a business is working for zero dollars an hour so that one day you can work for thousands or tens of thousands. Or if you're in tech, it could be hundreds of thousands. Right. So so it, it's a rough start, but it gets so much easier once you're a couple of years in. Um, and so I'm getting to that point where it's a lot more fun and I have systems and people in place and it just kind of continues with minimal input from me. Uh, yeah, I, I agree on that, too. I really think that in the beginning, too, even when I first started real estate at 24, it's really figuring out the opportunity. Real estate is a huge opportunity. Okay, great. I understand that. Now, the next thing is, okay, I am a business. I am not I'm not an employee. I'm a business. So as a mm-hmm. business owner, I need to figure out how to scale this business fast. I need to make mm-hmm. income. I need to make my business. I need to help clients, and I need to pay and grow, right? So within that, too, you learn that the fact that the marketing system helps accelerate mm-hmm. your business. Because if you're not calling, you're not mailing, you're not door knocking, you're not doing anything, there's no business, mm-hmm. right? So the yes. mailer you figured out works for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
the first time, the first time you make anything is always a pain, whether you're yes. at a job or you're doing, you're creating something for your business, but you can R and D rip off and duplicate everyone. But you have, you have <laughs> yeah. to do it, right? You got to yeah. do it and try it and then figure yeah. out did that work or did not work. You know, mm -hmm. it might work for you in your state might not work in my state. Right. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. That's talk. very true. And then once you start getting down, you start seeing results and that pays. But like you mentioned too, it takes one to two years to get in and dive deep. And then you start mm -hmm. seeing the results pay off. And by doing it over time, it gets easier and easier. And you start delegating it out to people to help you. So you have your person who's doing a lot of the work now, which is great because it frees up time for you to keep growing the business and yes. looking at higher level things. Like why, why do people get stuck on doing $10 hour jobs if they're worth $100? Because I can do it better. That doesn't mean it's better. You're losing $9 per hour because you're letting, you're, you're doing it, you know? Yeah, what you just said, I really want to highlight that you said, because it gives you time to focus on the higher level things. And that's been a big in last year. That was a, a big mindset shift for me as I hired people and really started to see a, a significant level of success. Uh, I'm not worried about offloading things because you know, my bases are more than covered. So I'm out of that scarcity mindset that I was raised on. And it's amazing what you can think about much bigger things and bigger numbers when you're not at all worried about paying the bills. Let's put it that way, right? When you get to that point, you're able to think about different things. And especially if not only are you in a comfortable situation financially, but you have people handling most of the day-to-day, -day, it frees up time for you to think about much bigger things. So yeah, going into this year, I, I, I'm definitely excited to work on some, some significant projects. Nice. I like that too. And one thing I realized too, is like once you start with your first property and you're starting to get net income, like positive mm -hmm. net income, free cash flow, you can use that money to reinvest into your business and you use that money to invest into your assistance. It's not expense. Mm -hmm. It's an investment and you're investing in time back for yourself to grow bigger, to have more financial freedom, to grow your business. Right. Mm -hmm. That makes you feel more comfortable. But if you had a job and you're <clears> focused <throat> on that income to pay your bills and you have high bills, then mm -hmm. you know, you gotta, kind of just do some adjustments, in, especially in the beginning. But by yep. doing it early, you 21 and me at 24, by doing it early, you're giving yourself time to learn, to fail, to grow. And yes. then you realize the results that pays dividends over the years. You're making, you mm -hmm. grow so much more because you're scaling the business and you understand that mm -hmm. by putting that money back in and investing back into your company, your business, mm -hmm. that you can scale faster and further. Yes. Yes, that's very true. And also there's just... Once you've been through it a few times, everything's less intimidating. You know, owning any sort of business is just solving problems all day long. But once you've done dozens of transactions, you've solved these problems over and over and over again. And then your employees have. So, you know, like this this rehab, actually, the one I told you, I'm going to go take a walkthrough video. It's right by my house, actually. Uh, we had to lower the house four inches, replace water and sewer line, complete cosmetic rehab, new electric. I mean, it was a huge rehab, but... Once you've built a few houses and rehab some of them, it's just a box. It's just a simple mm -hmm. box with some utilities running. I mean, it's it's just not intimidating anymore. Whereas if it was two years ago, that sort of rehab would have terrified me. And so it's the same with the, the land business, right? There's a, a closing we had that had some complications to it, but my acquisitions managers handled it a bunch of times. So now it's not a big problem. I know what to do. She knows what to do. So it's just it's just another day. So yeah, there's a, a power and confidence that comes from iteration as well. Yeah. No, yeah. I love iteration coming from tech world. We iterate everything. And it's like mm -hmm. a good example in real estate is like anything you buy, even brand new development, nothing is perfect. The mm -hmm. first time is always scary because you don't know what you don't know. But when you start learning about these things, nothing's scary. Even the biggest thing is not, not scary. You just, yeah. it's a financial model, understanding your financial risk calculation, doing the work, getting the right people to do the work and trusting them and then timing it. But yep. over time, you learn that when you start doing this more and more, the next property gets easier because you saw something already. You can look for that mm -hmm. on the next property and you iterate getting better on property. Yes. So later it gets so easy. Mm -hmm. It's still work. It's still time. It's still money, but it gets easier because you understand the whole thing involved. And now you start really profiting really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much less emotional. And this goes back to our conversation about giving, being comfortable giving away part mm -hmm. of what you're doing or, you know, equity when you're starting, because those first couple deals, whether it's, you know, you're selling houses or doing new development or wholesaling or buying rentals for all those things. If you find someone far more experienced 
venue to kind of uh, uh, partner, just to partner with, and you have to give away a big portion of the deal. What's really important is the learning you're getting out of those first few deals. Who cares? It will not matter if you build a real estate business and scale any avenue within the world of real estate. It's not going to matter. There's first few deals, but being able to make mistakes and have an expert with you to help and say, oh, well, here's how we handled this or to fail on someone else's dime. Maybe you're even working for somebody at their, their company is a great way to start. So just to kind of relate back to our early conversation, if you're new, don't be afraid to give away a portion of the deal to someone who knows better than you. It'll make your life a lot easier. You'll learn and then you'll be able to go do it yourself uh, with fewer mistakes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, learning, learning lessons from everything. Like even I had my mentor like, hey, I wouldn't got that first deal without them. I wouldn't have got that big deal without them in the beginning mm -hmm. because you're new, you're young, you're hungry, but you're sitting there learning and they're guiding you through it. And it, they make it look easy, but that's only yeah. because they've been doing for 10, 20, 30 years already. So it yes. looks easy, but that's you're paying for that expertise. That expertise mm -hmm. matters because they're getting you into the deal. They're closing the deal for you. And then you're getting paid even at 50% or whatever percentage that initial boost will help you go so much further and faster because you got, you got, you got the experience now it's under your belt. Mm -hmm. yep. that under your belts matter because now you can talk about that. You can say, Hey, yeah, I closed this multi-million dollar deal. I closed this hundred dollars on home. I closed this fix and flip, right? I did yep. that work. Yep. So it exactly. has your reputation too. Yep. Yep. And, and yeah, you just, you learn and it's just, as opposed to being emotional, you know, if there's a huge rehab, it's just a matter of what are the numbers and what's the return. It's not, fearful anymore right because it's just a house you know it's very yeah. simple. very simple. exactly it's not if it's not physically harming you it's just money and time you just figure it out and then hopefully it doesn't break you but you know there's stresses involved the stress is really sure. just the learning part of it because because you haven't done something you're getting stressed out for example i want to get a six-pack today you're going to be stressed out getting the six-pack because you yes. haven't done it before then you're going to have to go through all these things to learn to do and to be motivated and it's hard it's not mm -hmm. easy otherwise yep. everyone will have it you know yep yep agreed agreed and just Man, the longer I do this consistency over the long term and having the self-confidence to fail and then try again is one of the or are two of probably the biggest qualities for anyone that I see that is successful. I, I swear a lot of the most successful people have just failed more than everyone else and kept going regardless. So uh, exactly. which is interesting because I know a lot of people, they get into right. They, they become an adult and they get a job and they, there's an ego that comes with that and identity that comes with that. And they never want to be a beginner again, number one, and they never want to fail. And having the humility, humility to be a beginner and to go out and fail is really important. So, for, you know, for me, I, I'm working on picking up a few more residential units. I want that base to be a little stronger. But from there, I'm really interested in the long term moving into the commercial space. Uh, I meant to get into this last year, but it was just a little bit too much. So I postponed it to this year. As far as buying uh, uh, strip centers, I, I really have a friend in town who owns a bunch of Ace Hardwares as the base yeah. and then the strip centers that they occupy. And he, I love his business model. So in the long run, that's where I want to go. So moving into that for him, I would be happy to go do work, simple work for him or whatever I need to do to learn, right? Take your ego out of it, especially when you're trying to learn from someone who is where you want to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. And, you know, before we dive into that too, like the second thing you mentioned too was, okay, well, on a land deal, you did new development, you built new houses. Mm -hmm. And the second process of the new the development, oh, sorry, the second part of the land part of it is that if you didn't do the new development, you would actually wholesale it or you would, um, you know, go from there. So let's talk about number two. Yeah. Okay. So I've closed on almost all the lots. So mm -hmm. I've assigned a couple of them, but the vast majority I've closed on. And then some of my lists on the market, some of them, the buyer's list will just buy. And mm -hmm. most of those are for cash, but I have sold a number on notes. You know, last month I closed one where usually when I do those deals, I take a down payment equivalent to what we have into it. And then, so the monthly payments are all just profit uh, or very, very close to being that way. You know, I closed one last month where after I think two months of payments, she'll, it'll all be profit. Um, nice. And that's really nice to have because it just covers some of the overhead. You know, it, it's an annuity. It's not like a rental where I also have an appreciating asset behind it, but it's not a bad little uh, uh, side income to have a few thousand dollars in notes coming in every month, too. Yeah, I think notes are really valuable, too. Like I had another podcast with an, uh, one of our other guests, but talking about notes is like, you know, the simplicity of that is just your land. There's nothing really to worry about. And you get a note on it in your first your primary. So taking that, huh? was it Brent Bowers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Brent very well. It's just we have a bunch of projects together. Uh, he's a good friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense why you can build that much notes. You can, you can even turn that into a fund yes. and resell it again. But then that's multiple ways of passive, really passive, um, mm -hmm. you know, transactions to manage over time and, and at a reduced risk. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's been great too. And uh, most of them I've sold on contract for need to, or sometimes referred to as a land contract. So if they do stop paying the process for getting it back is very, very simple because it's still in my name. Some of them are on note and deed of trust, but I've only gone that route for people that I, I know or have a very strong financial backing. Let's put it that way. Okay, nice. And that's a good way too, because, you know, like even for all the businesses in real estate, you got to have some free cash flow to keep building, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that matters. Are, you know, for any, for these, any of these developments, have you done like burrowing or even your two, your active property? Have you, are you burrowing those multi-units? Uh, so on the development side, I have sold them as specs and okay. just simple single family houses. You know, I, I think sometimes it's underappreciated. I forget who said this. One of the podcasts I was on, he said he thinks about return on sleep. Right. And so <laughs> yeah. all of my my builds are just simple three bed, two bath, 1500 square foot ranches, because those appeal to the, the biggest demographics in the country and need a housing right now. The retiring baby boomer and or the first time millennial home buyer. And so if we do experience a, a market crash, I mean, there's such a margin. I can drop the price. They're palatable to the masses. They're lower, you know, for, they're borderline a commodity. I feel very comfortable building that. So as far as the building, that's all it's been so far as houses to sell. Um, as far as my rentals, uh, most of them I have acquired through house hack. This one that is just finishing up as uh, a rehab is owner financed. So $0 in as far as purchase price, there'll be about 22,000 into the rehab. Uh, so I'm just going to leave, leave that cash there. Cause I, I mean, it's 20, 22,000. I'm not going to try and get it. I, I don't like this leverage, 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 leverage thing. I, I I've left all the equity in my properties. Uh, you know, I have a couple hundred grand in one of my houses here and I'm not touching that. In fact, I'm probably going to pay it off at the end of this year. Okay. Let's talk so, about that. Two yeah. things you just mentioned, you talked about, okay, leveraging it and then you know, keeping the equity in there and not burying it out. Why not? Well, I figured out how to make a fairly substantial income from my business. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I try and keep a high level perspective, a long-term perspective. And especially because I've just spent so much time with investors who are 60, 70 years old, who have been investing twice as long as I've been alive. And I, I think assuming that the situation we're in right now, and again, I'm looking at a long time frame, being 25, so that I'm thinking mm -hmm. on a pretty long time frame is like, back to where I said, assuming that the situation we're in right now is going to last forever, I think is a little bit, uh, foolish because one way or another, there will be some sort of downturn. And if all of my properties are leveraged at 80, you know, 85%, I think I'm going to sleep a lot better and be able to weather that storm a lot better if I have some paid off properties. So that's actually part of my goal this year. I, uh, the nicest house I have here in the Springs, I want paid off by the end of the year. Uh, because going back to those mentors I have, a lot of them, or actually, no, pretty much all of them, they have some of their properties paid off. And that's why they've survived for 40, 50 years successfully. And I know it doesn't necessarily get you the best return, but I'm saying it again, just from everything I read from people who've done this a lot longer than myself, not losing everything at every market turn seems to be one of the biggest or most important uh, parts of being successful. Because over the long term, if you're investing slowly and wisely, the power of compounding is going to take over. And so for most people, it's just that they lose at every recession. That seems to be the case. So maybe I'm being overly conservative in that regard, but I'm very happy with what I do every day and I'm not trying to get out of anything and mm -hmm. I sleep very well. And so I'd like to keep it that way. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you too. I, I don't know. Like some people say from the, from our Asian culture, our parents always just, Hey, the primary house you live in paid that down. Everything else, go have fun with it because anything worst case scenario, you always have your family in your house and you don't risk everything. After oh, that, yeah. that's all you want. I'm yeah. Like, that makes sense. I understand why now after doing so long in real estate, I'm like, okay, I see the risk involved in numbers and the stresses involved if you're scaling it that fast. But yeah. by paying off your own personal house, hey, worst case scenario, I still have this. I'm done. I'm good. You know? Yeah. And, and the banks too like that. If you have one, one solid paid off asset, they, they like to see that. And plus, if you really need it, especially right now, you can always get a line of credit or something against it. If you have a killer deal where you're very comfortable leveraging that, that property. So anyways, yeah, that's just, again, there's an emotional component to everything I just said. Maybe it's not entirely pragmatic, but you know, that's important too. If, if your business is making money, but you're anxious all the time, that's, 
that's no fun. So, uh, yeah, that's just kind of my opinion. Nice. And what do you think, you know, especially for first time investors or even seasoned investors, what kind of tips can you give them on real estate investing? Like what's the things you learned, especially at your age, like in the last what, nine years or plus from 16 to 25, you yeah. know, like what, what tips have you learned over time that makes you better this year? And like, what are you going to utilize to, for the years coming? Oh, that's a great question. That one makes me think. I, I, I really want to reiterate what I said at the beginning about not underappreciating the importance of management. Right. Because th think about it. If you buy a great deal, let's just to use an easy example. Let's say it's a single family house and you have a tenant that stays there for five, six, seven years. I mean, that is powerful. Some I know people that have had tenants for 10 years, whereas if it's not managed properly, you have turnover every couple of years. That's going to really kill your returns, especially I mean, just the rehabs and the turnover costs are substantial. So that's probably the first thing I would say is just the importance of. Uh, uh, making sure the management is a hundred percent, right. That it's, 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 what's the word I'm looking for as efficient and effective and productive as possible. Don't neglect that, especially over time. It's easy to forget about it. Um, other than that, I, I just don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up in frenzies. Don't get FOMO. Don't get fear of missing out and focus on slowly and steadily building your business in alignment with your goals, right? Don't take on someone else's goals just because you hear something that's cool on a podcast, right? If you're listening and you think land sounds cool, well, does going after land align with your goals? So being really clear on what you're trying to accomplish, not letting ego and fear of missing out get in the way and just being slow and steady, I think is really, I mean, I haven't been doing this for 40 years, but from talking to those of my friends that have been, I, I think that that's a big recipe for su success is the slow and steady and just always focusing on probably. So number three would be focusing on the fundamentals. So does it cash flow right now? Not after you, you know, not assuming there's going to continue, going to be continued depreciation. Is it going to cash flow right now? And then number two, are you buying below market? I think you should pretty much always be buying below market. There's, exceptions to these things but but just focusing on the simple fundamentals slow and steady and making sure your management whether it's your own in-house company or a property manager are 100 percent. yeah i agree with you i think you know for me the tips i give to people investors and clients and agents is that you know yeah like you mentioned too having good you know systems having good processes really understanding even as a new person understanding you know you want to have good relationships um get these deals try to buy below market don't follow the norm. Everyone's overpaying. I need to overpay. If the numbers don't make sense for you as a investor, not as an owner, a user, as an investor, if the numbers yeah. don't make sense, bid what's comfortable to you because you have yes. to calculate that risk. Don't go in yes. high in a, in a high market right now, trying to make trying to find that. And there are good deals to be found. I found oh, yeah. good deals myself. I found good deals for clients. You just gotta be patient and look and search farther. Like you, Dan, you're you know you're digging deeper. You're looking into databases, list, um, you know things on public and private markets and you're finding these deals you're finding deals out there there's many deals and like you said find a low-hanging fruit just because yes. it's not online it's not an mls there's deals to be found you just gotta go find it and if you can't find the deal in your market go look in another market that's nearby you or out of area yeah yeah something i think about a lot i look at land and it's a super inefficient market right not a mm -hmm. lot of people understand it there's not a ticker updating every second like there is with equities and so there's mispricings everywhere because it's just mm -hmm. a lack of education a lack of people pursuing it and and it's just more esoteric i guess would be the word i'm looking for and so i try and think about or for your listeners you know think of 10 years ago self storage or mobile home parks these were very inefficient assets they were owned mm -hmm. by mom and pop there wasn't a lot of big money in them and so in the last 10 years obviously they've become all the rage because people found that opportunity to make them efficient and create a yield so whether it's a local market or maybe an asset type that others aren't talking about where can you find that inefficiency to create a return and do so with a lot less competition the same way i have with land Let's talk about this too, you know, before we end the show too, it's like, okay, you buy your first property at 21. How did you go from buying one property to the next property? Like it takes a lot of work. It might take money, but it also takes the mindset of, okay, I'm going to actually buy another property and another one and another one. How do you do mm -hmm. that? A lot of people well, get stuck on one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's different personalities. So some people get analysis paralysis. I would be the opposite of that. I would have the issue of jumping into things too quickly sometimes. And so I have to be cautious and, and patient and, a word that is difficult for me. So uh, uh, it depends on your personality type. If you are 
that type of person, I think it really just become or comes down to being clear on what you're trying to accomplish. For me, right, when, when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I started listening to podcasts of people who are successful. I said, okay, number one, I wanted financial freedom from rentals. I wanted the rents to cover all my expenses. So that was very clear in my mind from day one going into it. And I knew I wasn't going to get that through one property. So it wasn't difficult for me to work on buying more because that aligned with my goals. So for anyone that's out there that's having trouble buying number two or three, well, sit back and figure out, well, why would you? And again, this is why I always say work backward from what you're trying to accomplish and pick a strategy that aligns with it. You know, if financial independence is your goal. Okay, well, how many doors do you need, right? And if that's clear in your mind, then I think going and pursuing properties two, three, four is a lot easier because you know it's accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Like, okay, I know everyone's busy. There's COVID going on and everyone has family and, and tired, but really, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out your why, figuring out your, everyone says figure out your why, but really when you start understanding what you want, like I want to be a passive investor. I want financial freedom. I want time. I want to take care of my family. I want generational wealth. I want tax mm -hmm. benefits. Then you start understanding, okay, now how do I do that? Yeah. Okay, I need to go real estate investor meetings. I need to be there. I need to be surrounded by people who are doing it. I need to listen mm -hmm. to podcasts, bigger pockets, rich dad, poor dad. I need to start executing. And that's the hardest step getting motivated mm -hmm. to execute and like really start saying, hey, I'm going to be a, a, a learner. I'm going to do everything I can to learn how to do it. I'll work with people to figure out how to do it, but I want that for my family. Okay, great. Go do it now, right? Yep. Easier said than done. The motivation is the hardest part for that, and executing is the next hardest part. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, you kind of have to hit your breaking point. And, and for me, gosh, I, the last W2 job I had when I was here in Colorado is, so this was 2019. Uh, I absolutely hated it. Now I've hated every job I've ever had. Uh, and it was clear that I needed to start a business, but that one in particular, and I remember waking up and uh, they were, the company was back East and I was working remotely. So it was two hours later there yet when I would wake up by 6am, I'd have a bunch of work calls and texts and I, I couldn't prioritize what I wanted to prioritize every day unless I got up, you know, just insanely early and, and we worked late and wasn't making much money. And so for me, it's like, no, I, I want to wake up in the morning and have my priorities be my priorities. And so that there was a lot of emotion between, behind that motivation. And I said, OK, I'm going out, I'm building a business and nothing's going to stop that. And so you have to reach that point where you do have a strong motivator. And that was mine to start. And that's changed uh, at this point. But. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have a strong motivator, you got to find one or else you're just you're not going to do it because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard to do it. You know, I've been here for 14 years now. And I'm like, wow, time flies by fast. And they're still mm -hmm. always constantly learning so many challenges. But it's fun because you're actually pushing yourself further and further ahead. Mm -hmm. Yep. So before we wrap up the show, too, look, let's tell us what's your goals for 2022? Like, what do you personally and for your business wish to accomplish this year? Yeah, uh, great question. So I set preliminary goals for the full year, but I do a lot and I move quickly. So a lot of times they change. So I want to mm -hmm. net a million dollars from front range land. So from the land okay. and development, I want to add in the residential portfolio, uh, 5,000 net passive income. I want to, and this is going to really get started quarter two, because I'm planning to buy most of those residential units quarter one, or at least have them under contract. I want to go and buy my first commercial investment uh, I'm working on specifying a little bit more on that. And then uh, Brent, who you actually mentioned, uh, he and I are starting a consulting course together. He had the Land Sharks, which I'm sure you heard of. And yeah. he has all these people who want to sign up but want to know how to build. So he and I are collaborating on that and should have that out by the end of Q1 on nice. uh, uh, a consulting course. So looking to build that with him. And that's just a lot of fun. I like Brent and enjoy working with him. Uh, and then uh, personally, I want to learn to surf at the same level I can snowboard. I want 40 plus days snowboarding this year. There's a couple mountains in Colorado, very, the maroon bells, if you know where those are, I want to climb those along with a couple others uh, and then make sure I see my family every quarter. Nice. Those are really great um, goals. And, you know, especially for you, since you laid it out too, and, you know, being at your age, I'm going to point it out because all of us should be doing this. All of us should be working as hard as you do and how you're getting the goals and you're setting it. The first thing is setting those goals, laying it out, having it in your mind, writing it down, envisioning it. Yep. will make it happen right and surrounding yourself with bright people you know like me for example but just kidding <laughs> but you know when you, when you do that it yeah. really works right you know yes, like it, it really helps you get to your goal and you want to do that because like hey we only have one life to live let's go yep. live it let's go have fun let's enjoy yep. it and like take the ride and like you know what's the point of not fa failure and learning right you got to do it otherwise mm -hmm. how are you showing your family how are you showing your kids like yeah you can do this too there's always challenges right 
Yep. Yep. Sunday nights, I look at each goal and I prioritize the next most important thing. So taking the one thing concept and I do that Monday morning, but I could work only on Mondays and I would still be pushing things forward because I prioritize things very, very aggressively on Mondays. Nice. Well, congrats. I'm, I'm excited to see what you do this year. I can't wait to have you Thank back you. later and to see what you yeah. do and how you got there. And like, you know, just keep showing people and like with you doing these podcasts and showing people what you're doing, it helps, you know, create inspiration for others to do the same Good. thing. And we, I hope that we inspire other people to do this because it's a lot of fun and it takes a it lot is. of work, but it is financial freedom. Like I'm glad not to be in the corporate world anymore. Like, am I going to work for someone else's dollar and just do this all day and get fired or get quit one day because it gets boring? Or am I yep. going to build something that I can give to my son, my kid? and build up right that's yep. better you know yep agreed 100 100 cool thank you so much for being on our show dan uh how do people reach out to you yeah thank you matthew this was fun uh instagram or facebook dan habercost uh there's no other habercost so it's easy to find <laughs> me <laughs> okay yeah all right guys so make sure you check out dan um at um, sorry, at Front Range Land. And then any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to Dan or myself. And I thank you guys so much for being on The Truth About Real Estate. And I will see you guys on the next one. Have a great day. Thanks, Matthew.